Welcome everyone to our NCAA Social Series. I'm Andy Katz. I'm pleased to be joined by Amy Wilson. She is the Managing Director of Inclusion mm -hmm. here at the NCAA. Amy, I, I love to get down to the basics here. Mm -hmm. So let's educate um, and just basically inform people what is the NCAA Office of Inclusion. Well, thank you, Andy. It's good to be with you again and have the opportunity to talk about the Office of Inclusion. Um, I'll start with saying it's part of a bigger department called Inclusion, Education, and Community Engagement. So we're one of three departments there with leadership development and community engagement. So we have colleagues doing amazing work with us in this space. The Office of Inclusion is made up of uh, nine remarkable um, individuals who do this work on a national level for 1,100 schools. And so our primary purpose is to provide support through education, programming across core areas of disability that include international student athletes, student athletes with disabilities, uh, LGBTQ, race, ethnicity, and women and gender equity. So, and I'll also add that in recent years, we've really turned to providing support for the national office, meaning our 500 employees here and, and their DE&I um, learning and progression as well. So that's who we are and, and, and that's what we do. And we are very membership driven. So it is the membership that helps us to make decisions about uh, where we go with our education. And, and that's the key point here yeah. because um, this is an important department, yes. but one of the many departments that doesn't have legislative power. So where's that line mm -hmm. of influence, advice, support, but you can't make it, you know, legal in the in the NCAA framework of saying right. you have to do this. Right. It's absolutely true. I mean, um, a lot of folks don't understand that no NCAA staff members vote on anything, policy or legislation. It's not our role. What we do do is facilitate the work of membership committees. And with the Office of Inclusion, we have presidents, ADs, senior women administrators, athletic diversity and inclusion designees, one of our new ones, um, student athletes, et cetera, who are part of committees, four of them, that work on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Even those committees are recommenders to the divisional governance structure and to the Board of Governors on policy and then also on legislation. So it does ultimately end up in those membership committees that vote on any sorts of legislation or uh, policy around diversity, equity, and inclusion. All right, so without naming names, yeah, um, because as you said, there's so yeah. many different schools. I I'm just curious, like on a case study basis, yeah. so School X you know, comes to you, mm -hmm. what would be the steps that you would want to advise that school on how they handle these issues? Yeah, so that's a, it's a great question. I would, I would say normally our, our um, inquiries are fairly specific. So um, th they'll come with a particular area of, of diversity that they're working on. Um, so what we have are specialists in our office that those are referred to. Um, we also- Let me stop you there. Yeah, what would, what would sure. be an example of that where they'd say, yeah. we're working on, that? what would be one of those areas yeah. that they could be working on? So I'll give you an example. Um, we had an administrator reach out this week who said that a, a transgender student athlete was coming for a recruiting visit. And they wanted to be prepared to make that visit as inclusive as possible and to understand NSA policy. So that came to me. I immediately turned to my colleague in inclusion, who leads on the core area of LGBTQ, Dr. Jean Merrill, and I turned to my colleagues in the Sports Science Institute, 
who oversee the implementation of the policy and also um, very much the reporting and the scientific aspects of the policy. So we have a great relationship with the Sports Science Institute. So I had a conversation with the administrator and then we had a follow-up call from the Sports Science Institute. So that is an example of making sure a person ends up in the, in the right place for the person who can help them. And, and in that case, mm -hmm. is that a matter where the institution wants to make sure that they've done everything they can to make that student athlete feel comfortable on that recruiting visit so that later it can't be said, well, you know, we, we, we didn't do X or Y, we didn't know about that, yes. uh, or how we should have handled that student athlete. Yes, that was the tenor of the call. And it was also so to ensure that the student athlete was empowered with the correct information about the policy. And I ended that call by thanking the administrator for caring that much about a, a, a potential student athlete, a recruit coming in. And that is um, some of the great rewards of this work. We work every day with coaches and administrators, um, faculty members, et cetera, across the membership who care very deeply about their student athletes and are just reaching out to, to ask for the latest information or for some guidance so that they can create inclusive environments and make sure students feel like they belong. So some of the guides that you deal mm -hmm. with, whether it's language or disability, mm -hmm. What, what goes into that? Yeah, so one of the things that we do try to be very careful of is not doing our work in a, in a silo. So we just did release um, a new resource on a guide for inclusive language. We actually started by disseminating that guide in our building. And several of our departments in the NCA used that guide to look through their manuals. And we, we helped women's basketball go through all of theirs to ensure they were using inclusive language to model it for other championships. So that's very rewarding. We didn't just sit in a room by ourselves and do that, like we are here at the national office. We actually reached out to the membership and had some experts in linguistics and other areas at some of our member schools and academic departments consult with us, provide feedback on the guide. We also organized the guide around our five core areas of inclusion and added socioeconomic and religion, two other important areas to consider. And we tell our membership, it's a living document. We will take your feedback. We'll continue to update it. So it's very much a reciprocal experience with the membership. Um, we're in this together, and we're learning together. And how can we provide resources that will empower them? How critical is it? And this happened actually mm -hmm. earlier this season, where there was a student who, mm -hmm. uh, a men's basketball player, who had a Native American name. Mm -hmm. And there was a disconnect with the student, the school, and, and the broadcast mm -hmm. and kind of made fun of the name and yeah. there had to be an apology and this whole thing you know to me that was a great example of right. the dots not being connected exactly that someone didn't convey you know this person's background mm -hmm. why they're you know the the definition of their name and how that should be conveyed on a broadcast which can right. happen in any sport streamed linear you name it but it's another example of how inclusion should be indicated yes. and educated for not just on a campus, but when these right. students are promoted. I think in the world of communication, you're talking about sports broadcasters, sports information directors. This work is, is very important in, in those areas so that we are representing our students in, in the way that they would like to be um, referenced. And also, um, how are we proactively celebrating these various identities? Not only getting it right out of respect and dignity for the person, our office just posted a new resource. Um, it's Native American Heritage Month 
in November. We're just finishing November, but we have that resource out. So how are schools even proactively thinking about various heritage months and how they're celebrating those, whether it be Black History or Hispanic Heritage Month or others. So that's a new initiative in our office to empower the membership to use resources like that at the campus and conference level. But you're right, it is so important because that can completely alter and change a student athlete's experience and have long-lasting impact um, when we get just something like that wrong. And, 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 and you know, usually it's not intentional right. when that happens, but it can have very negative impact. You, you know? mentioned international students. So yeah. what about that in terms of a student athlete guy? Yeah, there are over 20,000 student athletes um, who, who we you know, identify as international are coming here to experience our sports system that is unlike any other in the world, right? Where you can come and experience higher education and get your degree. So we recognize that our office had not put out really a formal guide. And so Shay Wallach, who leads on that area in our office, held a think tank a year ago today, actually a year ago today. And we had thought leaders and persons from the membership from all over the country come together to talk about what are the greatest challenges international students are facing, how do we overcome those barriers, what do our member schools most need. So this resource addresses what, can, what do athletic departments need? And also, what do administrators who are specifically working with international student athletes need? So it's amazing how many international student athletes come to our 1,100 schools sight unseen. You know, they're showing up for the first day on that campus and may have never visited. It may be their first time in the United States. So there are, there are um, you know, extra things to think about for international students that some of our domestic students um, don't have to deal with. So we have two separate resources for that, and those were posted a few months ago. It's the first of an ongoing effort. And again, we're using expertise from outside and those in the trenches working every day with those international students. So a sort of chain, command, a yep. chain of command here mm -hmm. for the 1,100 schools. Mm -hmm especially if the school does not have an office of inclusion right. in its athletic department mm -hmm. or on its campus or yeah. you know, some sort of connected with the athletic department. How does someone at one of these institutions reach out to the NCAA yeah. Office of Inclusion? Yeah, so one of the, um, one of the ways that we're um, really trying to make those connections is there is a new designation across the NSA system that I think most of the general public doesn't know about. I'll give credit to our Minority Opportunities and Interests Committee, which is one of our membership, diversity, equity, and inclusion committees. They proposed that there would be a designation in every athletics department and conference office that it would be a conduit of communication around diversity, equity, and inclusion from the NCA to athletics, and also to play a leading role in doing DEI work. So that person, the athletics, diversity, and inclusion designee, we love our acronyms, yes. So that translates into ADID is someone we're communicating with regularly with our resources. That person's role is to ensure that those who most need that across the department and the campus are getting those resources. So that's definitely one way. Um, you can also um, reach out at inclusion at nca.org, inclusion at nca.org to ask us for anything that we need or have any questions or feedback. Um, we're glad to do that. And we regularly work with our great colleagues in communications to email um, you know, out these new resources as they're available. So athletics director, you got set the senior woman administrator down the line of, of persons in the athletics department. All right, so the convention in January yeah. in San Antonio, what's planned? So we're excited to offer three educational programs. One of them will focus on Title IX. We're in Title IX's 50th year. Um, one of our new resources is about the state of women's sports in this year, and you and I talked about that last summer as it, as it came out. So we are going to have a representative from the Office for Civil Rights 
in the Department of Education, the entity that enforces Title IX, talk with our membership about OCR's view on Title IX, some of the key issues that are occurring, and then we're going to have some Title IX experts and persons from the membership talk about their efforts to achieve Title IX compliance and gender equity. We're also going to have a session on how to do a diversity, equity, and inclusion review. Division I legislated three years ago that all Division I schools would do a DEI review once every four years. That's a big deal, all right? So um, that review is due next August for Division I schools. So we're going to host a program that goes along with our new resource to give tips and ideas on the ways to do that. It's not required that schools use our form or our guidance, but we want to be of support to them and try to help them. So we're excited about that. And then we're also doing a program on the new designation I just referenced, the Athletics, Diversity, and Inclusion Designee, ADID, because we want presidents and athletic directors to know what that is so they're maximizing that role on their campus. We're trying to get it off to the best start possible so that in five years we can say this is a meaningful, important, and impactful role on campuses. So those are our three programs. We'll also be working with the Sports Science Institute on a session on the, new, the updated transgender student athlete participation policy and trans inclusion. So we, we are in other places across the building. And that's an important point. We do not do this work on our own in the Office of Inclusion. We rely on our colleagues across the building who um, care about this very much and partner with us on many occasions. Well, I think at the end of the convention, we may uh, just have a quiz on all these acronyms. <laughs> <laughs> you know. But yeah. Amy, look, tremendous work. Um, so much more going forward, and uh, it sounds like obviously there's going to be so many great uh, forums at the convention as well. But before we go, just again, because you said it in one of your answers, I just want people to hear how do they get the information at the NCAA. Yeah, so you can reach out to us directly at inclusion at nca.org. You can go to nca.org on the web, click on NCA, and we're the third one in the list, inclusion. It's all there. Um, also, this opportunity in the social series, thank you, because it's a great way to get the, get, to get the word out. And then um, we're emailing the campuses directly as well. But we do better when we have feedback from the membership. So we absolutely welcome that. Um, we need to know what they need. And I'll also say, I have to do a quick plug, Annie, before we say goodbye. Our inclusion forum will be in person for the first time since COVID. Uh, this April, April 21st through 23rd here in, in Indy. And our theme is diversity, equity, and inclusion, the power and proximity. So the power in being together to hear each other's life experiences and stories. And the whole goal of that is to send people away with practical tools, ideas, collaboration opportunities to create more inclusive environments on their campuses. So we'll be opening registration for that in February, but we look forward to engaging with the membership at the convention and then to seeing them at the Inclusion Forum as well. Wonderful. I really appreciate your time, Amy. Um, and as always, uh, you can go to ncaa.org slash social series where all our social series are archived. Thanks for watching, everyone.